God speaks his word to us this morning from Numbers 24. Numbers 24, verses 15 through 19. Then he uttered the oracle, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eye sees clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I was late for this, late for that, late for the love of my life. And when I die alone, when I die alone, when I die, I'll be on time. Does anybody know where that's from? Anybody? Oh, I really hope I could see a hand to this morning. Anybody recognize that? Okay, it's, a, it's from a song called Cleopatra, written by a band called the Lumineers. Anybody? Nobody? Some, okay, thank you. I got one. I got one this morning. Okay. So, so this song called Cleopatra um, uh, was written about a woman that the band met uh, in a taxi. Uh, in, in, I think they were in New York City, and they were, they were asking about her life. And she was telling them her story uh, where um, a, a man from her local town had asked uh, her to marry him, but it was kind of the wrong time. She was grieving the loss of her father and she just said I, I just don't think the time is right for me to get married and he was so embarrassed that he left town and she never saw him again but in her mind he was the love of her life but she kind of made a mistake and she had the regret of not responding in that moment and so the song is about the rest of her life where she just said look the rest of my life has been cursed because I I'm going to die alone uh, because I, I, I was late to respond to him about marrying him um, it's a really cool song if you, um, if you, if you ever listen to it, but, um, but it is a sad song, right, a, about a woman who's going to die alone. She feels cursed by a bad decision that she made and, and that, that maybe God is against her for the rest of her life because of something that she did. So it, it, to me, it's a, it's a song about dealing with loss, right? Are we stuck in loss? Are we stuck in pain forever? Can we ever move forward after loss? Can we move forward after heartbreak? And this morning, uh, our passage is awful. Uh, It's a miserable passage. I'm sorry, but we got to start here. Um, It's a passage about loss. It's a passage of devastation. And in this this passage, we're going to have to wrestle with the question uh, this morning. How do do we deal with loss? How do we deal with devastation. And, and, and then we have to ask maybe another question, and, and that is, where is God in the midst of loss? For the next several weeks, we're going to be studying uh, the Old uh, Testament book of Ruth together. We're going to, we're going to look at that. And if, if you know uh, about the book of Ruth, uh, you kind of maybe know where we're headed. If you, if you are not familiar with the book of Ruth, I, I just, man, I can't wait to explore it 
with you. It's, it's amazing. It's a powerful story. Uh, it's a terrible story at times, and, 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 and yet it's also a story of beauty. Um, if you have not ever read the book of Ruth uh, before, I would, I would just encourage you at some point, uh, maybe, in, maybe this upcoming week, it, it takes about 15 minutes to read it. It's, it's not a long book. It's not a long story, but it's a beautiful one. Um, and I, I think it will help you as we go through this series to get more out of it. So take, just take some time this week uh, to read the book of Ruth. It, again, it's a, it's a book about loss. It's a book about love. It's a, a book about family, loyalty, redemption. And, and I'll just give you a, a disclaimer right now. Um, it will not be a book about dating. Uh, it's not a book about finding a spouse. So we will uh, not encourage you to model the behavior of Ruth or the behavior uh, of Boaz. Because um, at times the stuff they're going to do in this book is, is just weird. Okay? So we'll get to all that at some point soon. But this is not a dating how-to. Um, above all the themes, I, I think this is a story of redemption. A story of of God overwhelming his people with love and mercy. And, and yeah, I I hope you'll stay uh, and and come to to this series as we uh, explore a beautiful love story. Uh, And will you pray with me as as we begin our time together? Father, we thank you for your word. And I ask this morning that we would hear your words, not mine. God, you would give us eyes and, and ears to understand who, more of who you are, more of, of what you are doing in, in the world and in, in our lives as well. So guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll turn to Ruth chapter 1, we're going to start... We're just going to look at the first five verses this morning. It's before Psalms, so if you haven't gotten there yet, look on the left side of the Bible. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. It's a cheerful story, right? I think it's important for us to start this series by giving uh, giving us all a little bit of... um, background and understanding uh, about what's happening at this point uh, in history. The context of this story is helpful 
to understand more of the, of the characters and the pieces in the story. So, ju- so just a, a, a quick recap, um, and, and hopefully you, you, you're, you'll, you'll recognize all the parts of this recap, but um, God's people had been in slavery in Egypt, right? Moses and, and all of that, and he, he, God redeems them by bringing them out of slavery. Um, and he has this anointed leader, Moses, and they cross, they get out, they cross, and, and start into the wilderness. And, and he's supposed to bring them into the promised land. That's the, that's the goal. That's where they're all, they, they all think they're headed. But they're stubborn people, and they don't do what God asked them to do. They refuse to enter at one point out of fear. And so the older generation gets, gets told by God, you will not go into the land. Your children will inherit the land. And so after 40 years of, of wandering in the desert, they're finally told to go in again. I'm sure this, a lot of this sounds familiar, right? And, and at this point, Moses has died, and, and a man named Joshua is, is going to be the next leader. And so uh, we get this book called Joshua, where, where, where we, we are told the story of how uh, the Israelites enter into the promised land and, and, and who all they have to defeat to, to take the places and... Um, and it's about them kind of getting settled in and where the tribes are going to go and kind of the division of the land and all of that. And so Joshua dies, and he kind of tells them at the end, hey, I'm dying. You guys need to f- keep going, right? God still has more for us to do. There's still some places we need to finish, you know, taking over, and, and then Israel will be complete if you'll just follow God, right? And as we know in the Old Testament, the Israelites are not going to do that. They get one job and that was to follow God, and they didn't do it. Um, so the promised land is not fully taken, which is going to lead to books and books of the Bible with problems because they didn't do that. Um, and so once we finish Joshua, we get to this, this book called Judges. Um, and if you ever are a person who says, you know, the Bible's just really boring, and there's nothing in it that's exciting, you need to read the book of Judges. It's there, see? Are you guys getting in the sermon yet? Yeah. Um, the book of Judges is, is, I mean, it's every boy's dream, right? It's stories of war and heroes, and uh, I mean, it's, it's awesome. But there's some weird stuff in it, too. And um, kind of the, the idea, you know, summary of the book of Judges is, is the Israelites disobey. They don't do what they're supposed to do, and then bad things happen to them. And finally, at some point, somebody remembers, hey, maybe we should ask God for help. And then they do, and then God will sing, send a person named a, named a judge. And, and the judge will lead the people to get out of the problem that they were having. Usually, you know, another peoples had conquered them. Uh, and, and it just goes on and on. It's just kind of this, this cycle of disobedience and, and then God delivering through, through the help of a judge. It's kind of a yo-yo thing. Um, so it's always, it's always the, the Israelites revealing their sin by disobedience and, and then God coming back and, and redeeming over and over and over again. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, uh, I, in my opinion, other than the crucifixion, you have the worst story in the whole Bible. Um, it's terrible. And it's such a bad story that I, I'm not going to spend any time really talking about it. Just know that it involves the murder of a woman horribly, and it leads to a civil war in Israel. And um, it's Israel fighting Israel because of, the, because of the, all this tragedy. and all, it's, it's awful. Just terrible stuff. So, that's 
that's what we get to the very end of the book of Judges, and it kind of ends with this line where it says, uh, the people did as they saw fit in their own eyes, right? There was no king in Israel. They just did what they saw fit, which meant chaos. That was chaos. That last line of the book of Judges is really important as we start directly then into uh, Ruth, right? It says, the first verse uh, of Ruth, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, right? And that was a phrase that meant something to, to Israel. It meant bad. No king. We weren't following God. They were doing what everyone saw fit in their own eyes. And so this description is important. It's intentional. We're supposed to know what the author is trying to say here, which is in the bad old days, right? There's such things as good old days. There's also such thing as the bad old days. And he's talking about in the bad old days when the people were rebellious and weren't following God as they were supposed to. And so it says during this time, um, there's a famine in the land of Israel, right? A famine. Things are not good. People are starving. They don't know what to do. And so we get introduced to this man named Elimelech. It's interesting that the name Elimelech means my God is king. That's what the phrase Elimelech, it's a name. It means my God is king. Uh, We don't really think that Elimelech lived as though his God was king. Um, Most scholars would say Elimelech made a bad choice. And that to take his family to Moab was a short-sighted, maybe selfish decision. There were consequences for the decision that he's going to make. So the passage that we read just a a minute ago from the book of Numbers um, is in fact a, a, a curse from God on the land of Moab. The, the Moabites were, were, we would call them cousins to the Israelites, right? They go back, we won't get much into the lineage of the story, but the Moabites um, would be cousins, right? They should be really nice to Israel, they should be best pals. But in fact, they have several opportunities uh, in the Old Testament to be nice to Israel, to be hospitable to them, to show them kindness, and they don't. They do, in fact, the opposite every time, and it will get worse going through the Old Testament. The Moabites are the worst, right? If there's somebody who's the worst, it's the Moabites. So God it gives this curse we see in, in, the, in Numbers, which basically says, look, you're destined for destruction uh, because of the way you have, have been to my people. And so the Israelites knew this, and they weren't really supposed to have anything to do with the Moabites. They knew they were a cursed, evil people. They definitely weren't supposed to marry them. You know, living in their land probably shouldn't have done that, right? Um, so, so scholars would say Elimelech knew better and was disobedient in his decision. We kind of understand the reason he would do it, right? My family's hungry. I got to do something. But he probably didn't make the right decision here. So Elimelech makes a bad decision, but, but what most scholars will tell you is that um, the, the, the point of the story of Ruth is not, um, is not about a curse or a punishment on Naomi. That's not what this story was meant. That's not how Israelites would have read this story um, when, when we start talking about Ruth. Meaning, God is not out to ruin Naomi's life. That's not the point of the story. That's not what he's doing here. 
And so while I'm going to tell you this is not the point of the story, I'm going to make an important side note because I think it's, it's relevant for us this morning. If you are a follower of Christ and you are sitting in the ashes or have ever sat in the ashes and you know what I'm talking about, it is not because of punishment from God. I want you to hear this quote from, from John Piper. He says this, God's punitive anger, that is his punishing or condemning anger, is completely absorbed by Christ when he died. Hear that again. His punishing, condemning anger is completely absorbed by Christ when he died. He, di- he became a curse for us. He bore our sin. God may still be angry and displeased and grieved toward his children in a disciplinary sense rather than a condemning sense. So understand, right, as parents, we know the difference between punishment and discipline, right? There is a difference. Punishment, you know, punitive action means I'm going to get you back. I want to make you hurt, right? That's punitive. You need to be punished, and I want you to hurt for it. Discipline means I'm going to use the consequences of your choices, the consequences of your actions for a teaching moment, ultimately for restoration, right? Discipline, the end goal is good. Punitive, the end goal is I want you to be, I want things to be bad for you, right? And God never has that for his children. So if you sit in the ashes ever, whenever we're sitting in the ashes, we have to remember this is not God trying to ruin my life. His end goal is not to make me hurt, His end goal is restoration. God is never trying to ruin our lives. So there's our our little relevant side note, okay? So we're going to get to the dilemma of our story here in these first five verses. And so it's it's an important place for us to reiterate. God is not punishing Naomi. More than likely in the the days of of this story, Naomi doesn't have much of a choice about where the family was going to live. This was not a joint, you know, husband and wife decision. Hey, let's sit down and talk through whether... No, right? Naomi didn't probably have much of a choice in any of this. She doesn't have a voice in this time. It is important for us to point out, though, this book is incredibly rare. To see the story of a woman her situation, and even to have her suffering mentioned. And, and to go even further than that, for God to declare his mercy and favor on her in redeeming her life, you just need to understand that this is unheard of during this time. This is unheard of. God was doing something more than, more than we can imagine as the people of Israel read this, as the Jews read this story, God cares about a woman's life. God is for her and restoring her and redeeming her and has a beautiful plan for her. This is unheard of, right? It's beautiful. And and as we reflect on this loss, understand that Naomi is, is in so many ways living out our own stories. We are all... Naomi. We are all Orpah and Ruth, people who every day experience terrible loss. God is not trying to ruin anyone's lives. He's got something much bigger in store. 
coming on. You and I experience soul-crushing loss at times. And we have to remember, this is not God trying to make us hurt. There's something more at play here. Because you and I have to understand, we live in the days of the judges. That phrase where everyone does what they saw fit in their own eyes, that fits this society, this culture that we live in, as well as any phrase could. Right? The days of the judges are no different than the days of us. And so that means you and I live in a world of chaos, in a world of brokenness, where a, one broken, hurting person, one sinner, we just crash into each other out day after day. And if you read the news, if you pay any attention, right, we know that loss and hurt come from broken people crashing into one another. We live in a world of sin and pain and death. We live in a world where spouses get sick and die. We, we live in a world where parents have to bury their children. A, a, a world of widows and orphans, right? We live in that kind of world. It's a world where we look around and we think, is there anything to give us any kind of hope in this place? Is there any hope to be found? You'll, you'll probably hear me say this. I've said this a lot in my life. I, I wish that I could be a, a health and wealth preacher. Right? I wish I could be a prosperity preacher. <laughs> I, I wish I could read the Bible and come to the conclusion that if we just gave more money to the church and if we just had more faith, that we would never get sick, we would never experience any loss. I, I wish I could read it. Selfishly, I wish that, would, that were the case. That our bank accounts would be so big that we wouldn't know what to do with all of it just because God was just going to give it to us because he wanted us to be healthy and wealthy. I'm just telling you right now, I'd have the easiest job in the whole world, right? And it would be more lucrative too. I could convince you all to buy me a jet, right? If you just had more faith, let's just, everybody just get me a, I need a bigger jet, right? God, God wants to bless you by giving me more stuff. I need a new car, you step out there on faith, God's going to take care. You won't get sick anymore if you'll just write a bigger check. I wish I could say that. But I don't see it in Scripture. I don't see it. What I see in Scripture is broken people living in a broken world. In, in, in a world where we are desperately waiting for the Redeemer to come and take care of all of this. To come and fix all that's wrong. All that's unjust. All that's broken. Where, where, where the, the best friends of Jesus are killed for him. Right? If anybody should have health and wealth, it should be Jesus' best friends. But we don't see that in the Bible. Right? We see a Bible where, where his closest people, where his, the characters who love him are constantly asking, God, are you against me? God, do you even care? Do you know what's happened to me? Can you help? Are you, why aren't you doing anything about this? Right? That's what I see in the Bible. And we're studying the book of Ruth because we're going to get an answer to can you help? Do you care? Are you going to do anything about it? Ruth was written because the author of this story, uh, he's a couple hundred years removed from it, we think. He knows the end of the tale, right? And, and, and the author is saying, look, I've got 
the most incredible story. One of hope, one of love. But we have to go way back in the story to appreciate that hope and that love. If the author had written a prologue, right, to the story, they might have said, God God has weaved a beautiful story here, I'm going to tell you. But you have to start in the ashes. The story begins in the ashes. And, and because I know the end of the story, I can tell you, you can have hope. That even though this woman is going to lose her husband and her two sons, God isn't done yet. And Naomi can't see it. Naomi's going to struggle with doubt. She's going to struggle with bitterness. But something is coming. Read the whole book. And, and this morning, can I give all of us a prologue? Right? Because our end of the story has already been written too. It's, it's in, he, he gave it to us. It's right here. Right? We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. He, he wrote the end of the story for us already. You and I may be sitting in the ashes of loss. God may feel far away. It may seem like evil is prevailing. But there is a Redeemer. And that Redeemer is for you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He is for you. The The temptation when things are going bad is to immediately go, God is trying to ruin my life. Sometimes, sometimes I think our temptation is to think, you know, God is this, is this guy with his finger on a button, right? He's like, okay, they got one shot and they can get it right. But if not, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to hit the punish button. I can't wait to hit the life ruined button. You had your shot, but you, you, you went the wrong path. It's over for you. There's no more hope, right? Just like that woman driving the taxi cab. I had one choice at happiness. I had one path. And I missed it, so the rest of my life is ruined. I'm going to spend the rest of my life regretting the decision that I made. That's not how God works. He doesn't want us to be miserable. He is for us. I want you to listen to Galatians chapter 4. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right? So in terms of legal status, every one of us, male and female, we have the rights of the, first, of the son. Right? We're treated in, in, in that what we would call that culture, as what a son would have been treated, meaning we have all the rights of the father. We're not sub-citizens, right? We're not servants in the house. We're his sons. We are not slaves. We are not lost and hopeless. Galatians tells us the time has come. We have a Savior, Jesus, who has redeemed us from slavery. He's redeemed us from death. Even in our loss, even in our brokenness, when we can't see it, even when we're sitting in the ashes, God is weaving together a beautiful story of love and redemption. Don't give up. Redemption 
has come and is coming and will continue to come. Let's pray. Father, as a a family, we bring our concerns to you. We bring our requests to you. We know that you hear us. You have promised to do so in your word. You've told us not to worry, but that we should cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties upon you because you love us. Father, we pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who aren't here. We ask that you would bring healing and strength and comfort and peace to them. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. God, help us overflow our gratitude with lives of praise. Father, let us live that out that others might see. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.